0: Verses seven and eight. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the gift of your Son. And we pray now, Lord, that you would have his sacrifice continue to bless us. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah 52, verses 13 and onward, what series I'm in the middle of, has, to this point, I think, gotten me pretty spoiled it's very clear what isaiah is speaking of and in our new testament era there's just very little ambiguity as to what's been going on and that's why it's interesting in this verse that i'm going to talk to here concerning verse 8 it's really the first time that there's been any ambiguity about what god's really wanting us to get out of it at least from my perspective there are different interpretations as to this text Uh, especially this phrase, he was taken from prison and from judgment. See, that's how the New King James renders it. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And yet, listen to how the NIV says it, and the ESV and the NASB are all very similar. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. So they're very different. He was taken from prison and from judgment. In the New King James, it, it conveys the sense of how calvin interprets it and this is what calvin said that jesus was released from prison and judgment quickly in other words though in human eyes he was oppressed there for those last two three four days of his life uh, very very aggressively and then crucified on the cross and then in the grave that he was released fairly quickly in humanly speaking and so in other words jesus did not have to suffer long in that state so that's uh calvin and he actually says that he holds that view without really any doubts but that was 500 years ago and so modern commentators i think have usually taken a different take on this and it, and it's reflected in the uh, exegetical uh, view from the niv and it's that uh he was assigned or i'm sorry that uh, by oppression and judgment he was taken away this is one of the other views and even in Calvin's day he referred to it uh, taken another view was he was taken from prison to judgment in, in other words put to death quickly another one he was taken by distress and judgment and that's what's reflected in these other versions by oppression and judgment he was taken away so in other words uh, that Christ was unfairly treated that he did not enjoy justice on the earth we've benefited from that but yet it still is true of that generation that crucified him that they acted unjustly. And I I don't know what Phil's view is. I didn't talk to him about it. Um, But uh, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't affect any doctrinal view. They're all true. I mean, whatever we believe about the NIV, whatever we believe about the New King James, they still present views that that are consistent with Christianity. And yet, it just is how do you flow it? For instance, that's why I started at verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was stricken that's the niv it seems to flow whereas with calvin's view that this was concerning the evil of the generation that crucified him while plenty of other scripture uh, scripture talks to that i'm not sure that verse 8 talks to that and I don't know Phil could probably write an email if I'm wrong and he can convince all of us in a long email that, that what he would say is correct uh, but, but as I'm putting this together I was reflecting on it and say okay well what does this mean so Jesus began suffering punishment for our sins in his life we know this now some would even say that the fact that he had to come in the flesh at all is a reflection of that punishment and we would disagree that Christ took on flesh. Yes, it was humbling, but it wasn't punishment. And scripture speaks to that. For him, it was joy. And so we know that his eternal covenant with us in the flesh is not solely due to our sin. He's blessed us with this. He's, he's uh, honored us in many ways with this. And he's stooped down to our level to relate to us much more directly in this and so what we're talking about here though is the suffering that he experienced in the flesh the unjust suffering he was scourged mocked and beaten by the soldiers and on the cross he cried out if you remember my God my God why have you forsaken me so we know at that point the father had abandoned him he was living and yet his father had abandoned him to his punishment to this justice We know from uh, Phil's series a few years ago that that darkness that covered the earth from noon to three, that darkness is thought to be all the evil of the world coming to bear upon him while he's on the cross. When would you be at your weakest? When you're suffering this excruciating pain, when you want to cry out, uncle, when you want to give up. Uh, Phil just actually during his prayer of supplication asked that these Christians that are undergoing persecution would be given strength to stand up for God. And what better time to persecute Christ than when he was on the cross, in the body, dying. And here, not only is he suffering physically, he's suffering spiritually far more than he's suffering physically. So we know then that he died, that he was buried and that he rose again fairly soon after that. Now, the next phrase says, and who will declare his generation? Who will declare his generation? The sentence here says, uh, and who can speak of his descendants? And again, there are differing views on this. Uh, Calvin held that this was speaking of the church. Who will speak of his descendants? In other words, they are so numerous. They are innumerable. And yet another view is, Who will speak of his descendants saying that he physically was cut off? But we know that it was never God's plan to have Christ procreate and create these divine human beings that would fill the earth and displace us perhaps. You know, maybe that's some erratic, uh, arbitrary, weird views out there, but it's not ours. And so again, what is he saying? Calvin said, I have no doubt that he speaks of the age of Christ and of the church who can determine the extent of this new generation in other words but other uh, exegetics say like john gill say they reject all such arguments they say that this uh, concerns does not concern jesus or the church it concerns that evil generation that put him to death he believe it speaks only really of that evil that was done to christ again what does that tell us it tells us that people always disagree and we know that on many other things right baptism lord's table who partakes who doesn't who gets baptized when do they get baptized and so god has chosen to have many many mysteries remain for us in christianity we all have our views we all exegetically can prove our views and yet other equally intelligent people can often also to their satisfaction prove their views and persuade many people of them and so here again who will declare this generation? I don't know what this means. It could mean any of these things, and I'm not clear. But again, I think Phil will correct me, and, and, and I'm looking forward to that. Now, the next phrase says this. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was stricken. That's in the NIV. In the New King James, it says, He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Now, these are practically identical. They mean the same thing. And they mean what I covered back in verses five and six. And let me refresh your memory with what I said back then. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Five different sentences in those two verses proclaim the substitutionary death of Christ. And this is a clear prophecy that it does mean death. Because in verses five and six, death is not explicitly referenced. Here it is. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. So now we see not only is this suffering servant being abused for God's children, that he must die for God's children. And Isaiah doesn't stray too far from this during this whole servant passage. He's constantly hitting upon the fact that we must partake of the substitutionary death of christ you are an illegitimate child if you don't now i don't think as a fundamental aspect of our christianity we need to understand the first two sentences that i shared and that i mentioned to you that all these uh, great biblical scholars disagree on we must understand these last two sentences exceedingly important that christians understand and accept the substitutionary atoning death of christ now we know that this table reflects the body and blood of christ and we know that he did this for his children and so we celebrate his death we celebrate his life we celebrate our future life with him and so as we come to the table as we partake we do so with joy We do so in expectation of the fact that one day we will be free from the sin that separates us from God, that causes us to have conflicts with one another. One day we will be free from that. And we will truly rejoice in full enjoyment of the time we have with one another and with God. So we look forward to that day. That's what this Lord's Supper is all about. It's all about expectation. And so this meal in and of itself might not be so wonderful, but yet it does tell of a feast in heaven that we will enjoy one day. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you have established Christ as the only means to reunite fallen humanity with yourself. And so we pray, Lord, that we would never be ones to fall away from that fundamental truth of Christianity. And we pray for those that have. We ask you, Lord, to intervene in the hearts of the truly saved, that they would come to a deeper understanding of your word and that they would be faithful to you, that they would be faithful to the uh, memory of what Christ has done. We ask you now, Lord, to bless this to our bodies. We thank you for Christ and for all of your many uh, gifts to us in his name and for his sake. Amen.